Greetings, everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West here, and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Program. Hey, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal program. You know, if you listen to what's going on up there on Capitol Hill right now, everyone's mad at Senator Tommy Tuberville, the former Auburn University coach who is uh, a senatorial representative from the state of Alabama. They're saying that because he's holding up these promotions of three and four-star generals that, you know, we are not going to have a chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff or, or a uh, secretary of the Army or some of these other things, that that's affecting the military readiness. Well, let me tell you something. Not having a couple of three or four-star generals is not affecting the readiness of the United States military. But it's interesting to me that no one talked about affecting the readiness of the United States military when we were booting tens of thousands of men and women out of our military because they did not want to take a shot that now we know had no proven efficacy whatsoever. And now we're starting to hear once again that, oh, we got to get ready, COVID's coming back, and we got to get some updated boosters and all of this stuff. You know, kind of like the Who song, We Won't Be Fooled Again. So I wanted to dedicate a couple of programs here at Steadfast and Loyal to talking to men who had faced this incredible injustice who came up on the short end. They were told that, thank you for your years of service and uh, see you later, bye-bye. So we are joined by U.S. Navy Senior Chief Clayton Allen Wheeler. Senior Chief Petty Officer Clayton Allen Wheeler enlisted in the Navy as a 17-year-old high school junior in the delayed entry program. Upon graduation, he went to basic training in Great Lakes, Illinois, and afterwards began an A specialty school as a gas turbine mechanic. He was a Navy engineer, or snipe as they're called. He was selected as a Chief Petty Officer E-7 rating in 2005. Later, he was sent to the Senior Enlisted Propulsion Engineering course, Top Snipe School in San Diego, where he graduated first in the class of 20 other chiefs and senior chiefs. After completing United States Navy Instructor School, he reported to Mayport, Florida for duty at a float training group, and in 2019, he was selected to advance to the Rank of Senior Chief Petty Officer, E-8 Rating. Senior Chief Clayton Allen Wheeler, thanks so much for joining us here at the Steadfast and Loyal Program. Thanks for having me, Alan. I appreciate it. Hey, let's talk about what inspired you to join the Navy. I mean, for me, it was a dad who challenged me to be the first officer in our family because he was enlisted in World War II. My older brother was a Marine, enlisted guy in Vietnam. So what was the inspiration for you to join the United States Navy? It was actually similar for me. So my grandfather was uh, in the Army Air Corps World War II, and he was a B-25 turret gunner. So I'd, I'd heard stories about him yeah. serving. Of course, he was drafted. 
Um, he talked a little bit about it, did his 25 missions, and um, but just always had, you know, severe pride for the country and everything that he stood up for when um, those boys were fighting. And then my mother's father, uh, he was in the Navy actually during Korea. He was an enlisted electrician. So yeah. at one point, he had a big influence on my life. I talked about going to the Air Force, and yeah. he, uh, he let me know that the Navy was the way, way to go. So There you go. Now, we're also joined by United States Army Major Mike Gary. Uh, Mike Gary enlisted at the age of 17 and served in the military for 25 years. He was a chemical officer, and he also had experience as an engineer officer and artillery officer. And you know, me being a former artillery officer, that's near and dear to my heart, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. He spent most of his time uh, in what is called the weapons of mass destruction, and also chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear enhanced response force package. Try to say that a lot of times. Let me say it again. Chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear enhanced response force package. Major Gary, thanks so much for joining us here at the Steadfast and Law Program. Hey, sir. How are you doing? It's good well, to fantastic. see you. Tell us what was your inspiration of joining the United States Army at the age of uh, 17 and then continuing on for another 25 years? Well, yeah, it was um, to serve my country uh, first and foremost. Uh, you know, I, I did want to pursue uh, the trades and possibly college, but I also wanted to serve my country. So that's why I looked into uh what was initially the army reserve and then would later would be the national guard because i always had this uh, deep rooted seed inside of me that i wanted to be a part of serving this nation and so uh i signed on uh you know freely i didn't jump on for the college money at the time and all these other benefits i just wanted to join and and uh, serve serve in a way for you know, all the things, all the rights and freedoms that we had, I wanted to earn them in a way. And that's what brought me to that. Now, Clayton, here you are serving in the United States Navy. I mean, your record is impeccable. I mean, you were always at the distinguished military graduate at your basic training and also a gas turbine mechanic school. You were the uh, the first in your class of 20 of other chiefs and senior chiefs at the propulsion engineering course. What was it like to all of a sudden be told that you had to have a certain thing injected into your body? Uh, how did you feel about that mandate? I knew it wasn't fair. It was something that, um, speaking from my constitutional rights, and that's something that uh, a lot of people kind of lose sight of in the military, which is sad, but um, you're standing up for these rights, and I had, I had a question. So this isn't something that, I feel is safe. I don't, I don't know how, but the, the quickness that it was put into effect to solve the problem of COVID, to get us back to normal, it was something that I, you know, I questioned it right away. Um, as a senior leader, we're expected to make decisions based on risk. And to me, it seemed that there was a risk to it. There was something that wasn't right that maybe I should be able to, you know, think about it, see what happens, what are the side effects, things like that. Had you had any symptoms or, or had you caused any readiness issues for your uh, unit uh, relating to uh, the issue of COVID? Uh, previously to the mandate going to effect, uh, it was tough at the command. As a smaller command of 300 sailors, um, when COVID first hit, it was 
you know, with the contact tracing and the mask wearing and social distancing and stuff like that, it's very difficult uh, to maintain a, a good working environment. So if somebody came down with symptoms, they'd be sent off right away and then it'd, it'd be a detriment. So for me personally, um, I didn't experience COVID until after the shots became, uh, became available. And um, I actually, I did get diagnosed with COVID at one point, and this was, um, I want to say November of 21. So a couple months after the mandate came into effect, uh, I got COVID and I was sent home and they called it restriction of movement. So they send you home for two weeks. Um, during that time, our ship was going through an inspection cycle where we needed to get certified to deploy. And uh, <clears throat> this is before the point where when the vaccine was the answer and everybody that got the shot wasn't ever going to get COVID again. And I think that was the stigma. That was the mentality at the time. So me and being a vaccinated sailor, I got sent home. When I came back after those two weeks, um, I was told that I was patient zero. I was the one that caused the outbreak amongst the vaccinated sailors on the ship. So that was something that the only time I ever experienced it was, like I said, after the vaccine became, you know, 85% of the crew was vaccinated at that point. So, uh, Mike, explain to us what was your, you know, initial contact with this uh, mandated uh, requirement uh, in your military unit? Yeah, so for me, sir, uh, I'm a weapons of mass destruction hazmat uh, certified uh, technician, and I was the deputy commander of my unit, and actually the two units that you had mentioned earlier with the extremely long names and acronyms. So I've been in the hazmat technician field for 15 years as it relates to weapons of mass destruction, uh, according to Seaburn, Chem, Bio, Rad, and Nuclear, threats. So I'm trained specifically to identify and know how the enemy is going to employ threats. And the National Guard owns that mission. Uh, we have the first responders as it relates to Seaburn, Cambiorad Nuclear, and weapons of mass destruction. So that's been my field for 15 years. COVID didn't sneak up on me. I was aware of COVID in December of 2019, maybe the end of November 2019. I was watching this thing in the news, alternative media, about China. And I was watching it very closely and seeing how it developed. It would be January of 2020 uh, where I would see an interview with Dr. Francis Boyle, the guy who wrote the Biological Weapons Anti-Terrorism Act of 1989, which um, our U.S. Code Title 18, as it relates to bioweapons, is written based off that. So I was starting to get into this and, and thinking that it could be a bioengineered weapon. This was my concern. And as a, as a field-grade officer and, you know, being in the field I'm in, weapons of mass destruction, I was doing everything I could to serve my soldiers the best I could and the American people, which I'm oath-bound to do. So I was studying deeply on biolabs. And again, I've been trained in some of these biolabs across the nation. So this isn't a foreign thing to me, okay? And the fact that they're possibly genetically engineering is kind of a new thing, having been trained in it a lot, but it's certainly a concern of mine. And I do a lot of uh, reading on my own. In fact, most of my knowledge comes on my own, uh, on my own reading, 
books about past things that the military or other countries have done. So this helps me do my job, serve the American people and my soldiers, helping them lead into what may be uh, lead to work for us down the road. And our work is in hot zones, hot zones being uh, an area determined to be hazardous with those sea burn type uh, weapons, yeah. can biorad nuclear. So uh, early on, I was way ahead of everybody. I was anticipating some type of lockdown and I knew it was going to be, uh, I was waiting to see if there was more evidence, whether this was coming from a foreign entity, like possibly China or whatever the, the origin was of it, and to see if it was going to take away our rights. So I was watching these things very closely. And when the lockdown occurred in March, I had already kind of confirmed with myself that this thing wasn't spreading like a novel virus. It hasn't gone through like I anticipated it would. So I was already starting to think, well, this might be to take away our rights. So I was watching closely. And then certainly after the two weeks when we never got back to normal, I was like, oh, okay, here we go. Yeah. Uh, so I tried to mention Wuhan lab and discuss the origin of this thing, but that was conspiracy theory. This was my line of work to actually question these things. And it's a shame that the chain of command has played off people that are in the know, like myself, as conspiracy theorists. Well, I wanted real answers to my questions, and those never came. And my unit, um, for example, has a PCR machine where we would run uh, things like uh, play. Explain PCR, please, real quick. The polymer chain reaction. So that's to find a biological weapon or agent. We'll say agent. And then, of course, in my field of work, it's a biological weapon. So like weaponized anthrax. And those machines have to have some type of uh, ticket that actually um, has a slice of whatever agent you're looking for. And I believe in our unit, again, I didn't run that machine. That was not my machine to run. I was the deputy commander, but I was intimately involved with uh, the science officer that ran it. So I, again, I, I know by virtue of what we did that he would check for, you know, plague, anthrax, uh, tularemia, and all these other nasty things. Well, that machine has to have a little slice of those things to match it with what you're finding uh, at a scene okay. or a hot zone. Hold that thought for a minute because I want to go back to Senior Chief uh, Clayton Wheeler. So, Senior Chief, here you are, and these other individuals have received this, this shot but now all of a sudden, you're being told that you're ground zero. You tie Fort Mary uh, for everyone else getting this. Well, to me, I'm just a simple old, you know, army dumb paratrooper. If these guys had gotten a shot and everyone was saying, if you get the shot, you're not going to get it. They should have been protected from you. Am I correct? Correct. Yeah. And then that was the thought. Right. And I thought that that would be apparent to everyone else as well. Um, but the denial was there. So. These sailors that had lined up to get the shot to receive it, um, I think their mentality was just like any other vaccine. There's just seasonal flu shot, whatever. No question. Let's just do it. And then when I brought up that fact that 
wait a minute, you've got two doses of whatever and you're protected and COVID vaccine is the answer to, you know, these problems or turn us to normal and I haven't received it. How am I giving it to you? And it's incredible how even up to the senior leadership at my command, that, that question just went unanswered. And it wasn't, um, I'm going to try to explain my way out of this. It was, it was a blank stare. It was just quietness. Now, senior chief, I, I just have to ask this simple question. How do, how were you treated and what was the grounds that you used to say that, you know, I, I want to refuse taking this. And as I've told people, a vaccine eradicates the disease. We're talking about a virus. And, right. you know, you can't eradicate a virus. They mutate, as we continue to see now, where I think we're on the fifth or sixth iteration of a booster. So there is no eradication of this. And in my 22 years serving in the military, and you served 20 years and 11 months, you know, flu shots were optional. So how all of a sudden did we get to this point where we are mandating this thing that, like I said, the efficacy rate was not there. It does not protect you from anything. I mean, we just saw the first lady, the United States of America, who has had all the shots, all the boosters and everything. She's still getting it. So what was it like for you in that unit? How did your command treat you uh, after that point? So after the point of the mandate, um, if we're speaking frankly about this, then August 24th of 21 is when the, the DOD mandated this. And, and we kind of saw the writing on the wall previous. Um, I'd been approached by senior leadership at my command, um, you know, with some trying to edge me into a corner saying, well, you, you should do this thing. You know, your career is going to be on the line. This, this mandate's coming. So the mandate did come. Um, it was presented to us at a meeting, actually, amongst um, most of the senior leadership at the command. Uh, and it was given to us. A copy was given and said, you need to read this, and this is what's going to happen. So the way I was treated, even previously to that, but especially after the mandate, um, it was like nothing I'd ever experienced. So up to this point, I'm a senior, a senior listed advisor um, in my department on the ship yeah. for the engineering department, propulsion. I had up to 85 sailors working for me, mostly enlisted, uh, E7 and junior, some officers, you know, junior officers, yeah. O2s, O3s even. And um, at this point, I, the only person that I answered to the chain of command was really the commanding officer. So I had been brought in to help. It was a brand new ship at this point, my, my, my command, brand new warship, the newest warship in the Navy at that time. I brought in to help commission it. I'd actually sacrificed 10 months off of my, uh, my shore duty, which is a coveted thing in the Navy. Once you get a shore duty, you're, you're kind of relaxing, but I jumped off of that 10 months early so I could go help the ship out. Um, I had been revered and, at that point, actually, in, in my fitness evaluations for the ship, I was the number one senior chief on the ship, second only to, to two master chiefs that happened to be on the command. So in the top three of the enlisted. So I got treated pretty well. I did my job just like everyone else. Uh, when the mandate came through, I let it be known that I wasn't going to get it. And I gave my grounds of reasons why. And um, then the series of naval messages came out. I don't know if you're familiar with like nav admins. Yes. Um, I'm sure the army has something similar. Yes. And um, <clears throat> every branch of the military runs on paperwork, right? So yep. if, if, it's a, if it's in black and white, then it's a fact and this is what's going to happen. So starting in November of 21, oh, sorry, October, these naval messages came out. And as they started to come, the first one threatened administrative separation, regardless of tenure, right? So 20 years in didn't matter. Um, 
significant problem evaluations. So they would they'd write us up for failure to follow an order, uh, not maintaining medical readiness, things like that. Specifically at the command, as these NAV admins came out, uh, I was kind of pushed into a corner. Uh, once the vaccines became available, we were wearing masks up to this point. When sailors were able to get the vaccine and they got their little cards filled out, um, the strange thing happened to the ship. They, they were able to take off their masks, but they had to wear a black rubberized bracelet to indicate that they had been vaccinated. So, so, they, so they're actually creating a two-tiered personnel system there right. on a ship, which to me, that's very detrimental to the cohesion and effectiveness of a ship. I mean, yeah. not to mention any type of unit in the military. Am I correct? Correct. Yeah, that's exactly what it did. It created a very significant line of separation between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. This is a small command. Yeah. This is 300, 320 people trying to operate, get the ship going and, and be able to be, you know, a deployable warship. And in the meantime, we're, we're separating ourselves. These kids are running around with serialized rubber bracelets with their own serial number on it that says they were vaccinated so that they could operate about the ship <clears throat> and even the pier adjacent to the ship without their mask on. That was their proof. And they're very, very proud of it. Right. So here we are. And at this point, I think there was 15 of us left that hadn't received any vaccinations at all. Yeah. And we're all still wearing masks and we're restricted to a certain point. Um, at one point, another outbreak happened and it happened over the weekends. So the, the, the duty section personnel on the ship were there. We got notified to show up to the pier at, I think, 0800. And it was a mass testing event where they would take the swab and everybody that wasn't a part of the, it was about one sixth of the crew was on the ship and they were kind of grounded to the ship at that point. All the rest of us lined up and we had to get tested, sent home. Once the test results came, they brought everybody back to the ship. They kept everybody that was negative for COVID on the ship and everyone else got to leave for two weeks. Mm. And we stayed on the ship at the pier in our home port for 10 solid days. To me, that seems like coercion without a doubt. And it's a sad, you talk about readiness, you talk about effectiveness, uh, you talk about morale. It seems that uh, what happened and what you experienced was doing everything to undermine that. Major Gary, let's talk to you about, you know, your refusal of taking this, uh, this shot. What did it mean for you in your command? Yeah, so I was as you're probably starting to learn, I was way ahead of it. So I completed my religious exemption packet early December of 2020. People, people thought I was crazy for submitting it. It is something I had been thinking about for a long time because I noticed once I had changed my diet a number of years ago that after I'd get vaccines, I wouldn't feel well and I would, uh, you know, find ways to recover from them. You know, the basic uh, sniffles and stuff like that after your typical vaccines. Well, I started to realize there was going to be a mRNA messenger RNA piece to this. Um, in that fall of 2020, around the election of 2020, I didn't know what that was going to make at the time. I didn't know exactly. However, I knew it was something I wasn't going to be a part of, and this was it. I was going to put in my religious exemption for all shots because I'd been thinking about it for a number of years. So I had verbalized that through the chain of command 
And they were very supportive at first. Everybody was, oh, yeah, your First Amendment. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you practice that. So um, no issues getting that uh, through in December of 2020. It would have been out of my unit at the end of December of 2020. And as the shot came and the pressure started to build, as the chief was saying, uh, this became more and more problematic. Now, over the course of uh, winter into spring of 21, a lot of other people decided maybe maybe this is something I don't want to participate in because at that point we had learned what the mRNA was making. It was making this foreign protein, the spike protein, which is the thing that came out of the Wuhan lab. Okay, and that's why the origin of this was so important. So a lot of people uh, in the military, Army and National Guard, Army National Guard, started to realize this. And they decided, they had to question themselves, well, what is my belief in God? So to another part, why I was way ahead of this is I do love to read uh, scripture and I am into Bible prophecy. And that does guide a lot of my decisions. And the fact that man can be so evil is not a surprise to me, right? This is proven again and again throughout history. But, uh, you know, that's what kind of put me ahead of everybody. Naturally, as a field grade officer, a major, a lot of people started to come to me with questions about God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And naturally, I let them see my religious exemption packet because mine was already done. And I handed it to them as an example. And how did, the, how did the command respond to that? Did they see you as an instigator or what? Well, it changed over time as the pressure changed. And this is the thing. It came on so hot and heavy. So I would say winter of 2021, it was okay where I was at. They were supportive. Once we got into the spring, especially towards the end of the spring of 2021, the shot was the only way out of the pandemic. And then we started to become as dissenters. So there's that's when you saw the branding of us, the marginalizing of us, ostracism of us, and us being pushed to the corners. See, HIPAA wasn't even followed, you know, marking people. That's not following HIPAA. You can't put people's stuff, but it was, yeah, it was in email traffic. It was on <laughs> clipboards hanging on the wall. It was all over the place and you were marginalized. So as the summer of 2021 developed, I knew I was becoming a problem <clears throat> because you had this great, it's, it's quite interesting. You had this great number of young people wondering what their faith was and whether they had a strong enough faith. And this is where I said, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's all that's required to have an exemption packet, yeah. <clears throat> you know, and you have to decide, do you believe or not? So anyway, this became a problem. Let me, as, as we get ready to close here, uh, Major Gary, were you forced into a retirement and what type of discharge were you uh, allowed to get? It's it's very complex. Uh, Fifteen six investigation uh, that was brought on to me by the chain of and command. And just so everyone knows, a fifteen six investigation is much the same as a grand jury hearing in the uh, civilian side of things. 
Yeah, and it was just one decision maker in it. They didn't dare to bring it to an admin separation board uh, because there would be actually a jury there where, you know, it'd be an outside look. So the one person, the chief of staff, uh, made the decision on getting rid of me uh, full-time for my full-time position. So I've lost all my full-time status at the moment. And uh, they continued to persecute me through take, trying to take my security clearance. So I've since hopped into the Army Reserve, left the National Guard, and I'm in the Army Reserve trying to survive. It's and very what difficult. State, what state National Guard were you in? I was in the main Army National Guard. Uh, you know, up here in the Northeast, they were yeah. all about the mandates. So it's been incredible to try to survive up here. So that's I'm in the Army Reserve, and we'll see how it goes. And so did you lose your time that you had serving in the National Guard, or is it there some transfer equivalent? Uh, well, I had 17 full-time years in, 25 uh, total years. And so I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to recover a full-time pension if I can. Yeah. But I, I'm a weekend warrior for the Army Reserve right now. So I represent myself, and I'm not on this uh, Zoom meeting representing the department oh, of yeah. defense. No, we reads. absolutely got that. And senior chief, what was the adjudication for you? Like I said, 20 years, 11 months, were you ready to get out of the Navy or that option was closed to you? So initially when the, the mandate hit, um, I did put in a retirement request because I, I saw the writing on the wall. I knew what was going to happen um, from that point on. I knew 20 years already in, I knew how the Navy operated. Um, just based on facts, figures, numbers. Uh, so my initial retirement request was denied. Now I wasn't ready to get out, but I just, I felt like this was the choice I needed to make to carry on with my life and, and not deal with this anymore. Um, not giving up on my country, just, just this in particular, this situation. Now with the onset of a NAV admin in December of 2021, the final one that would actually separate sailors that had less than 20 years, it would give them 10 days to get out of the military. Um, there was a, a paragraph in there that allowed anyone that was retirement eligible, uh, they would have to put their request in by January of 22 or retirement date no later than June 1st of 22. So I, I was able to slip in, um, submit my retirement request in accordance with this Naval Administrative message, and it was approved. Uh, shortly thereafter, I was removed from the command, uh, kind of set aside for temporary duty, uh, lost some pay, and then and I just squeaked out of the Navy. No retirement ceremony, no celebration, Ugh. no, just forgotten. So, at least um, an honorable honorable discharge. Yes, sir. So I did get the honorable discharge, and I was able to maintain my benefits up until that point. I had been coerced. I had been pressured. I've been with people that I thought had knowledge on this this system of how it was going to work. That they were telling me you're going to lose your GI Bill, you're going to lose your retirement, you're going to lose everything, everything you've worked for if you don't get this shot. Why don't you just get the shot already? Um, similar to the major, I hadn't submitted a religious exemption request. And it just so happened that the, the remainder of the sailors on the ship that didn't get the vaccine happened to be in my department and work for me. Now, I never had meetings with them or, or, you know, engaged them in any way regarding this, but I did show them the religious exemption. We went through the process of the interview with the chaplain. It's a very arduous process. It's not yeah. simple. Um, and then the blanket denials came back about 45 days later where I had set one side by side with three other sailors and they were exactly the same. It was very well, disheartening. I, I just want to thank you both. Uh, Senior chief, 
Petty Officer Clayton Allen Wheeler, United States Navy, Major Mike Gary, United States Army Reserve, prior to that National Guard. Uh, and I want people to understand, here's about 45 years of experience that we just got rid of. And if you want to talk about readiness, you know, we can get along without Mark Milley or a chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff. But when you're talking about someone that is a top snipe down there in the propulsion systems, making sure that uh, one of our naval vessels is, is operating, or when you have someone that is an expert in the chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear emergency response programs, we need to keep those people. And I just pray that the United States Congress will do the right thing by both of you all in making sure that if you wish, you're restored and any type of benefits or anything that you uh, have seen lost, that can be given back to you. But from the bottom of my heart, this old Lieutenant Colonel, I just want to say thank you to you both for your service, sacrifice, and commitment to the Navy and to the Army for, like I said, 45 years between the two of you. So God bless you all, and thank you for being on the Steadfast and Loyal Program. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Colonel. All right. Have a great one. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for taking the time to join us for this episode of the Steadfast and Laurel program. A special thanks goes out to United States Navy Senior Chief Petty Officer Clayton Allen Wheeler and Major Mike Gary for taking time out of their schedules to be with us. And as always, if you like this program, please click the like button, share it with others. And until next time, steadfast and loyal. Before they burn it down.